You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the Locals News podcast. If you were listening to the last episode, you'll know that we've taken the week off for Easter. And this is a fully pre-recorded interview with Johan Wicklén, who is a reporter with public broadcaster SVT and the author of a book about Swedish attitudes to drugs in general and cannabis in particular called Vieros Aldri or We'll Never Give Up, How Sweden Lost the War on Drugs. We listened to the first part of the interview last week and what you're about to hear now is the rest of our wide-ranging chat that touched on everything from the history of Sweden's zero-tolerance drug policy to whether he thinks Sweden will eventually move towards liberalisation, like many other countries have done in recent years. Before we get to the interview, this is just a reminder that the podcast is made possible by members of The Local. So thank you very much to everyone who supports our independent journalism. If you're not a member but are thinking about joining, we'll put a link to our membership options in the show notes. Let's listen now to the interview. So why does Sweden take such a hardline stance on drugs? Can you tell us a little bit about the history? That's a really good question. A, a tough one. But illegal drugs, I'm not talking about alcohol because we have a, 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 deep, a deep and 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 long history about alcohol in this country. That's all Anglo-Saxon cultures have. Yeah. <laughs> we have the same drinking culture. We drink. <laughs> we don't just sip. But one can say that drugs, the illegal drugs came to Sweden in the 1900s, in, in, mm. the, in the beginning of that. Uh, actually, we had a, a wave of cocaine use in the 20s and 30s. No mm. one is talking about that now, but you can see the same in Germany. Mm. Uh, also in, in England, I, I would suppose, it was like a trend of cocaine use in, in right. Europe, which is now forgotten. Then we got the most Swedish drug of them all, amphetamines, in the 30s and 40s. We love our amphetamines because <laughs> just like we love our uh, coffee, it's it's dark and we, we need to uh, be invigorated here. Yeah. But uh, amphetamines uh, uh, wasn't illegal in the, in the beginning. Quite the contrary. They were, they were supposed to take them. It was good for everything. <laughs> so uh, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, you could get different kind of amphetamines uh, at the pharmacies mm-hmm. without a recipe even. But in the 50s and in the, in the 60s, and you can see the same in, in a lot of countries around Europe, that's when drug use, which was a, like a problem for the individuals and a problem mm. for, for doctors, it became a problem for society. When we start to formulate a, a drug policy, yeah. so to say, 
and, and that's like in the in the middle of the 60s but that drug policy is not the same that we have today the drug policy we're talking about when we're talking about the, the swedish restrictive drug policy the hard line swedish model we can talk about late 70s early 80s mm-hmm. that's when the authorities formulated the drug-free society as okay. society's objective yeah that's when it happened that's when we were starting to distance ourselves from a lot of countries so the policy is restrictive that means that illegal drugs are not tolerated in any way even in the late 70s our politicians stipulated that drug use non-medical was foreign from swedish culture it could never be tolerated and even though politicians today doesn't echo that saying the same goes i would say for a lot of generations in sweden this is absolutely something that is still in many people's minds knark we talk about knark yeah we even have a have a word for it it's everything that we're not supposed to be doing it doesn't matter if it's heroin or amphetamines or cannabis so there's no distinction made between hard no. and soft drugs you don't have that word in in other languages even uh, one could argue that might dope might be something like that but mm. it's not so so that was really powerful and after we came to this um, vision about the drug free society mm. society free from drugs uh, the main thing and what's also uh, being debated now in the late 80s it became illegal became forbidden to use drugs not to have them in your pocket or something uh, right and also in the in the early 90s the police they got a new law that let them take urine or blood from you mm. uh, on suspicion of drug use and that's very foreign for a lot of people that's not swedish yeah <laughs> here it it's it's just the way it is and the last couple of years you could say that about 40,000 urine samples per year is taken on suspicion of drug use and uh, i would argue that this wouldn't be possible in a lot of european countries you wouldn't let the state do this on a suspicion of a, a kind of soft crime so to say but here in sweden we trust our authorities and <laughs> this is not a scandal what was it that happened there in the 70s i mean you you talked about how amphetamine use was almost encouraged and you could get them without a prescription in pharmacies what happened in the 70s where this just flipped sort of overnight in the 70s you you can see a lot of things happen in the 70s and you can see this international too drug use was spreading think about what happened in the late 60s flower power generation yeah a lot of new drugs have synthetic drugs like amphetamines were spreading and there was kind of a liberal decade uh, so I, I would argue that it became a, a backlash to that in a sort of way. You can see the same thing in uh, USA and, and also in, in Great Britain. Yeah. You can see the Reagan and, and Thatcher backlash from a more uh, progressive, to the, so to say, uh, sure. 70s. When this was implemented in the late 1970s, how was it communicated? I mean, were was this policy communicated in schools for example how was there a strong anti-drug message sent to children at that time yes and the the, the strong anti-drug message that was sent to children and adults that has been going on since the 60s i would say right since we formulated that we now have a drug policy mm. information to the members of society has always been a, a staple in, in swedish <laughs> governance so and then what you could see is different time periods have had different 
amounts of uh, hardcore propaganda. Sometimes uh, harder, sometimes a, a bit softer. But mm-hmm. but uh, but information has been a big part of this. Towards uh, all, uh, I would say up until maybe the middle of the uh, 1990s. Then something happened. In a way, we lost the fate to our own policy. I would, I would mm-hmm. argue. But also, uh, Sweden in the in the early nineties got shocked by a economic crisis. Yeah. So no more money for that type of a prevention. Right. Yeah. Because I'm, when I moved here first in the late nineteen nineties, yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by how strongly people felt about this. I had lived in in Germany shortly before that in Hamburg, which has you know basically the opposite kind of model, similar to what you were talking about in the Netherlands. And you know, I I spoke to friends in my new friends in Sweden about sort of recreational drug use, and they were kind of shocked that I was talking about it in such an offhand manner. And it really did feel like what you're talking about here. There was a, you know, there was propaganda. It was a kind of really, it was an indoctrination. Yes, I would say 100% it it, it has been. And you came in the in the light, late uh, uh, 1990s. So mm. then there were more generation of, of Swedes that had been into this indoctrination process. Now you can see uh, that in some kind of marker, people are born in the middle of the 1990s, I would say. Mm. And it's a big generational gap. Right. It's real. You can see it when you're doing, when you're polling this question. Mm. It's really easy to see what generations have been into this, like, indoctrination process, have been in, uh, have had this in, in, in school. You can really see it easy when, when you're polling the question, I would say. I'm conscious when I'm, when I'm asking this, that indoctrination is a very strong word. But do you think, do you think it's fair to use it? Yes. Yes, in this, that's it's a good question because that's a word you are not supposed to use recreationally. <laughs> so, no. but, uh, and you should not take easy on. But in this case, I worked with my book for two and a half years. I've been deep down the archives. Yeah. I've done my due diligence, and it's absolutely has been an indoctrination process. Right. You can see it in a million ways and, and you can have a, a million examples of it. And, and also it's really interesting because I've both read a lot of researchers who came from outside, from Britain, from the US, from, from the Netherlands and, yeah. and other countries who came to Sweden and studied our policy. And uh, everyone sees this. It's, right. it's impossible to, to not, not do it. And, and in a way, it, this was not a secret was something that we had to do and it was for the for the common good mm. the problem with it is that a lot of recent voices was pushed out of the discussion and the debate especially in the 80s and 90s i would say when the policy became what, what, what it was and and swedes tend to be kind of pragmatic one would yeah. say that we're known or at least we have been known for being kind of pragmatic and toned down and not, not easy to anger. But in this case, one could say that weeds learn to react with their stomach rather than their brains, so to right. say. And, and uh, you're not supposed to talk about drug consumption in that way you did when you, when you came here. Uh, today, it's different, I, mm-hmm. I would argue, especially in a lot of generations. But I've just for, for some archive footage I've seen, 
you had um, MEPs coming here from Germany in the, mm. in the middle of, of the 1990s um, talking about drug policy because, as I said, it was a big discussion then. Europe was going to a more liberal way, more harm reduction. The Netherlands led the way. Uh, Swiss came after them. And a lot of uh, cities in Germany also, like you said, Frankfurt, uh, Hamburg, and, and etc. Uh, Liverpool in, in, in England was really early with harm reduction measures. So it was a, a German MEP uh, <laughs> here. And, and, and she said that with her a couple of days discussing with just common folks and politicians and, and and she said i've learned that the swedes know that they're always right and that's very unswedish yeah so and also i've interviewed a, a dutch criminologist tim boycott van Soling, uh, that was here in the in the in the 90s uh, writing a book about swedish drug policy and he clearly remembered that swedes tended to be unswedish when this Issue came up mm-hmm. both in the in the EU Parliament, but al- also here. And and uh, he remembered to this day that a lot of researchers, scientists that were just doing their job and and uh, raised some questions about the policy. This was in the nineties, right? He said they were treated really bad. <laughs> okay, they were put in sort of like an intellectual quarantine. Wow. Uh, you had a, a censorship, a, a, a self censorship. And he told me this was really on Swedish. I didn't expect this from Sweden because he, he mm-hmm. hadn't been here. And, and so he, he had this very, uh, another picture of what, what we were. And, and he said, you had, a, you had a thought police. It was really clear, I would say. And this is, uh, one have to remember that Sweden in the 60s, 70s, 80s, we were known for our modern, humane, progressive, welfare, social politics. Yeah. But in this area, there was more moral and myth than scientific evidence and pragmatism, I would say. What was the media's role in all this over the decades? Did the media not question this policy and bring in these dissenting voices? The short answer is uh, uh, yes, uh, they didn't. Uh, this has also been like it's been going in, in waves in different decades. I would say in the 60s and 70s, media did a a better job. And also you had more politicians that were not totally in tone with, with another. Because what happened in the 80s and 90s, it was total consensus. We were right and this is the way to go. Mm. I would say everyone thought this and, and, and also media. So media have been doing a, a poor job in this field, I would say. Mm. Uh, not, not just that we haven't like look at the, the policy in, 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 a, in a in a credible way but also we have yeah we've been acting like mouthpieces for for the policy in, in uh, especially in the in the 80s and, and, and 90s i would say then you can say that in the in the last 20 years or so it's been better but i would say it's, it's only been this last couple of years i would say we have seen a better reporting about this issue in the swedish media and I think this is, of course, it has its roots in, in a lot of stuff. Uh, you, you've seen, you, you, you now see that there's conflict in this issue mm. once again. And of course, if, if there's conflict, then the media will come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also things that are happening outside of Sweden is, of course, important, both in terms of drug policy and regarding uh, how, how you treat 
the people that are like injecting heroin and, and stuff like that, but mm. also, and especially maybe the cannabis policy shift uh, that you have seen in, in North America and in Uruguay and Canada, and are, that's now coming to Europe also. So 10, 15, 20 years ago, people could say that, ah, cannabisation is it's only about like some hippies that want to smoke. Yeah. <laughs> But now you see politicians from left to right, from liberal to conservative in a lot of different countries that are arguing for uh, legal cannabis markets or different cannabis policies. Yeah. And your book focuses mostly on cannabis, which uh, most of the world considers a soft drug, not Sweden. But why did you choose to write about cannabis? I'm using cannabis as, as the, like the main thread. Yeah. Uh, to tell the story about Sweden and, and Swedes' relationships to illegal drugs and our drug policy. And for me, it's, it was really strange that no one had done this before. Mm. E even uh, in the research community, you, you haven't written a lot about Sweden and cannabis. That's strange because cannabis have, have a, a symbolic role in Sweden since the 60s. Of course, you can see this in other countries as well, but mostly if you look at the U.S. maybe uh, yeah. you, you see the, the, the same kind of rhetoric and, and, and so on. But in Sweden, you, you can say that cannabis became especially dangerous because that was the drug that the youth used. And yeah. in Sweden, we have this saying, Tänk på barnen. the youth are really important. Mm. And I think the youth are important as well. I get, I get two kids that are really important to me. But in Sweden, you can say like whatever and then say think på barn and, yeah. and you, <laughs> you get away with it. But also in Sweden, cannabis was seen as a gateway to heavier drugs, the gateway theory. And this was really, this was communicated in media and in state-sponsored information and, and so on since the 60s and forward. Mm. And, and I would also argue that a lot of people, a lot of generations still think mm. that cannabis is especially dangerous because it's mm. a great drug to more uh, lethal drugs, other drugs. So it wasn't any reason to separate cannabis from other drugs. Right. Everything was knark. Like you could see in other countries, you could see in the Netherlands, uh, as an example, you, you could see that they were developing their drug policy also in the, in the 60s, and, and they chose to separate cannabis from other drugs mm. because that's the drug youth used. Yeah. So they wanted to separate the markets, right? So they were also talking about the gateway, but more a, a social gateway, so right, to say. Right. And, and now police is talking about cannabis dealing as a mm. gateway for young people into like more heavier organized crime groups so you can talk about cannabis as a gateway drug in, in a lot of ways but mm. in sweden we are focused on on a gateway a, medi a medicinal gateway so to say yeah you mentioned organized crime there i mean how central is cannabis to gang crime in sweden at the moment you can see that cannabis sales are hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Base income for organized crime. Yeah. Because cannabis is by far the most popular illegal drug in, in, a, in every country in the, in the world that has a vivid illegal drugs market. So I think it's about like, if, if you, you see all the money that the illegal drug market uh, create every year, uh, cannabis makes up for like 40, 45% of that. Mm. So of course it's, it's really important. It's also a market that are easy accessible, especially for young people, young guys. And the cocaine market is more close. You need to have better sources to score. It's not so easy to get into the cocaine market. Of course, the cocaine market is also worth a lot of money, but cannabis, everyone can start to sell cannabis mm. if you're ready to maybe to, to fight for your territory. Uh, and, and that's a, something that has happened in, in the last 20 years as well. In the 70s, 80s, 90s, the people who sold cannabis, you could have your like local hippie dealer. You can have those people that went to Denmark or uh, Amsterdam and smuggled in some car and they sold to friends and friends' friends and, and stuff mm. like that. Now you've seen a, a professionalization of the, of the drug market as a whole yeah. and also the cannabis market. So now you see drug gangs controlling the whole distribution chain, yeah. maybe even uh, all the way from Morocco and, and the, the hash producing, then boats over to Spain and then, uh, and then the traffic up, up north. So it's, it's much more uh, valuable in that sense too. Uh, yeah. You have had organized crime that's, as we're really entrepreneurial and, and have been taken a, a strong uh, place outside the Swedish borders also. Mm. One thing that you could say also about the, 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 the cannabis market that, and, and what we don't know and what separates cannabis like cocaine, cannabis is fairly easy to produce on your own. Yeah. We don't know how many. I've been interviewing a lot of people that are doing it. People are like having two, three plants in a tent. Sure. And have your own little grow operation at home. Some people have a little bigger operation selling to, to friends and, and, and stuff like that. So you could use cannabis, so to say, ethically not produce it at, uh, yeah. in a way that you could not use cocaine. Because if you use cocaine, you, you, you are part of this mm. bloody chain of violence from Peru, Colombia, Mexico, all the way over here. So. Uh, yeah. can, cannabis is a, a kind of interesting drug. And also, in a way, cannabis can't be stopped, right? Even if you put up like a big wall around Sweden, tw 20 meters, some drugs will stop to come in after a while. But people will do, uh, will make alcohol because all you need is potatoes. <laughs> and we have a lot of them. And people will uh, be able to grow weed. In in the book, I, I'm even interviewing a guy is. Planting weed in outside, so even in Sweden, weed can grow outside. I think politicians 
on the left in particular have blamed uh, recreational users who take drugs like at the weekend when they're out partying for funding a lot of the gang crime we're seeing. What do you think about that analysis? I think it's interesting. And this rhetoric, we've seen this in other countries as well. You have some countries in Europe uh, that are uh, doing the opposite, like Germany now, they're planning on a legal cannabis market. You, you see the Netherlands, of course, uh, you see Malta, you see Czech Republic, uh, Switzerland is also planning mm -hmm. on, on experimenting with legal cannabis. Then you have a, a country like England now. It's really, you have a, a really vivid discussion about this recreational drug users and uh their part in in this problem and mm. in a way of course that's how it is if it wasn't any demand you wouldn't have this market sure. right the problem is that the demand will never go away no people will use drugs they will intoxicate themselves and now we have a truly global drug market uh, which means they want to experiment with other drugs than they have traditionally have had access to mm like alcohol in our cultural sphere. So we, we can't back away from that. Also, if you back another further away, yes, but the problem is the drug markets are this valuable because they are illegal. Yeah. You have this researchers are talking about uh, prohibition premium. Mm. Okay, so that's an incentive for people to get into this market. Yeah, because you get a lot of money to deliver these goods. And I'm not saying it's that easy that if you just legalize it, it will go away. No way, man. This is a really complex problem. It's a problem that will play out different in different countries. Yeah, If you legalize something in, in one country, the same thing might not happen in, in another country. Okay. So the root to all this are, of course, the illegal drug markets. And if you want to blame the drug users, I think that's okay if you at the same time say that, okay, we have created this problem because of the illegal drug markets, because that's just logic. That's just like economy 101. But in Sweden, okay, so instead of looking at how the Swedish drug policy have worked and all this, uh, this a lot of politicians have raised the bet and now going on the offensive, so to say, mm. against drug users. So I think this is interesting because the Swedish drug policy has focused on the user of drugs since yeah. the 80s. Mm. That's what we're doing in Sweden. 90% of all the, the crimes against the drug law crimes are small possessions uh, yeah. and, and own use. Only 10% or less are about selling drugs. Right. We have already tried this since the 80s. So it's, it's kind of an interesting time to be a, a journalist covering drug policy because you can see that a lot of people are coming in now and, and are debating and discussion this, discussing this without having a sense of what we already have done and what Swedish drug policy is. And you have seen this absolutely from the left. Mm. And they they have their talking point have been it's the the rich people in the in the and the rich suburbs that are yeah. causing the violence in, in the Usata Omroden in the in the poor suburbs and yeah. etc. But if you look at the statistics, drugs are being used along all incomes. Yeah. It's not strange. It's 
it's always have been like this sure. and it was always will be in the same thing as, as in other countries what you don't hear in, in the in the discussion is that most of the drugs that are being used the biggest part if you if you count like in in, in kilos mm. that is of course used by a small part of the population that have a drug problem yeah you can see the same with alcohol it's it's a small part of the population that are using the lion part of the alcohol consumed in society it's not the people that are drinking like a bottle of wine on the weekend of course they are also important for the market but they are not the big players there so no. if you really wanted to drive the black economy in this way i wonder why are no politicians talking about uh, more health measures maybe better help for people that are not only the people that are using like heroin and, and the, the more heavier drugs but also cannabis not nobody's talking about that no and i know that there's a lot of people using a lot of cannabis there's a lot of people that are just using cannabis maybe one to 20 times a year and their tolerance is really low and they don't they just need a couple of puffs because everything is so strong yeah. <laughs> these days but there's a lot of people that are using a lot of cannabis so why don't target them and and, and maybe see if, if we could get them to use use less but nobody has been talking about this no and when you talk about heroin sweden has quite a high fatality rate doesn't it yes we don't know exactly why this is if you look back in time you could absolutely see that the lack of uh, harm reduction has uh, caused both death and the damages to people mm. of course we were really late with needle exchange programs methadone programs we did stigmatize drug users heavy drug users they weren't to be a part of society mm. that was built in in the, in the in the policy so to say but today it's, it's more complex than that and the, fully it's it's getting better but i think there's also something with our culture and our ways of doing all drugs because mm. if you see it drug fatal fatalities and, and drug death by overdose you can see the same thing that with alcohol you can see a lot of countries up north you have scotland which mm. is really bad yeah. I, I think ireland's kind of bad the u.s we cannot even talk about the u.s u.s mm. have so much problems with drug deaths right now so and also norway in a way finland is near mm. there's something with our intoxication culture yeah i would say that's play part uh, also mm. or maybe something with our 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 way to to be be human but that's a that's a more deeper <laughs> but you you mentioned needle exchanges and those were sort of taboo for a long time but they they, they do exist now yes the world health organization recommended needle exchange programs to combat uh, the rapidly growing hiv epidemic in the 80s yeah i think it was 83 or 84 Sweden got their first needle exchange law in 2007 and also even after that local politicians would say no to needle exchange programs in their area yeah over the head of, of like the experts and and the doctors and, and so so it wasn't until two th uh, 2017 that uh, it was written into law that local politicians didn't say no Right. So I think this month, March 2023, 
I think it was the last uh, region got their needle exchange program. Mm. Uh, and uh, a city like Gothenburg got their first needle exchange program in late uh, 2018. Right. That's incredibly late, yeah. Yes, that's incredibly late. If, if you think about how, how needle exchange programs uh, spread from this and so on in, in Europe. Also methadone and, and other medicines for heroin addiction also came really, I would say. Given that these measures came so late, have we seen any studies yet on the effects of them? We got fresh statistics this year about drug overdose deaths. And uh, the trend is ticking down, mm. but that's good. And one thing that people are putting forward is that these measures, harm reduction measures like needle exchange programs, et cetera, and also uh, naloxone, acute overdose prevention, uh, have played a role in this. So hopefully we will see the trends uh, steady come down. So, And if you're talking about Swedish drug policy in general, you can see that in this sense, when it comes to harm reduction measures, a lot of things have happened the last 20 years. Mm. We are not where we were 20 years ago. Measures that, that would never have happened or couldn't be tolerated no. then are now tolerated, I would say. Mm. There's a lot of problems still, but in like it's not a moral problem anymore. But then when it comes to the, the control policy side of things, nothing have happened since no. the early 90s. We're still still there. And even now, we're, we're seeing some strengthening laws. That we, mm. um, like we, this uh, minimum six months in jail for, for, for small-time dealers. So if you look at Portugal, for example, which decriminalized drug possession for personal use in 2001 and focuses much more on treatment and harm reduction rather than punishment. And it's a scheme that's widely seen as a success. The number of addicts has fallen, for example. Is Sweden looking at Portugal and thinking, or is anyone in Sweden looking at Portugal and thinking, maybe we should consider this? Yes, of course, there's been a lot of experts, researchers, scientists that have gone to Portugal and seen what they have been doing there. One thing that's important to think about with Portugal is the decriminalization part was just one piece of a, a big puzzle. It was like turned everything around and they put a lot of money into this and a, a lot of thought. And it was like a, a paradigm shift in a way. But one country that really looked at Portugal uh, was Norway, mm. and and Norway is much more closer to yeah. Sweden. Is, and Norway was really, really close going the Portuguese mm. way a couple of years ago, but their Socialdemokraterna stopped the reform. Right. And that drug policy reform was initiated by the right party, the Swedish Moderaternas um, sister party in, in Norway. And uh, if Norway had gone that way, they could go that way. It's still a, a heavy debate mm -hmm. there right now. And if Norway had gone that way, that would have, of course, spilled over to Sweden. Because once Norway took over a lot of the Swedish drug policy, if you look historically on it, and the drug-free society and everything. So that would have been really important. But of course, other countries are going to play a part there. So maybe Sara Skyttedal won't tip the scale all the way, No, but it will tip the scale a bit. Mm. 
And when countries that are more culturally near us, like Germany, Finland, Norway, Switzerland, are starting to experiment with different drug policies, with different approaches to cannabis, from decriminalization policies to legalizations. And that's what we will see in the coming 10 years. Of course, this will play a role in Sweden. And for me, I would argue that overdose deaths, organized crime fighting, shootings in the streets, of course, all that is uh, important for the discussion about drug policy and drug policy reform. It, It will play a role. What will be most important for Sweden and the future of our drug policy is what happens around us. Because yeah. when a big enough part of, of Swedish people feel left out from the modern world, mm-hmm. that's when uh, we will uh, start to see drug policy reform here. That's when we will see about a more nuanced discussion about cannabis uh, legalization or not, yeah. and so on. So, Because we don't like to feel left out from the modern world we are, we want to be the most modern people in yeah. the world that's that's what we like so that sounds like sweden at some point will shift to 180 degrees and we'll have the most liberal drug policies in the world it might be actually because one thing i've learned about sweden and sweden we we tend to change our minds overnight yeah. we do 180 degree and then we pretend that we have always uh, been in, in into this way of, of thinking. We've seen it in last kind of years with immigration yeah. policy, and uh, it might happen with, with drug policy also. For me, I, I just long for the, the more moderate Swede that can like, okay, let's be pragmatic. Let's be smart about yeah. this. Instead of like going from one extreme to another, that might very well happen. And I, I think with kind of seeing the same thing in in the in the US right now and moving from tough war on drugs policy tough tough non-tolerance policy to a le- really yeah. liberal policy and and I think if you want to look at what you're not supposed to do if if you're thinking about people's health then maybe do not look at the US then it's much more interesting to look at Canada Canada's model of uh, cannabis legalization is much less commercial if Europe and, and Sweden in the future are going that way, uh, we, we will be much more like Canada, I will mm. say, th- than the US. You've just been listening to an interview with the journalist and author Johan Wicklien. Our sound engineer on this podcast was Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony, and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.